Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Booming Basketball Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Nate. And uh, taking a little bit of a different approach today. We're having Danny host the entire episode, so we're going to see how that goes, and I think it's going to go pretty well. Yes, sir. Thank you for the confidence, Nate. So, uh, sorry for the inconsistent uploads. I was in Florida, hotel had bad Wi-Fi, not really a lot of ways for me and Nate to communicate. Yeah, it's been a struggle the past week, but we hopefully can continue with the consistent uploads, and we hope to eventually move up to two uploads a week. So that's what we're trying to go for, at least this week. So this should be a reasonably filled-up episode. A lot has happened in the NBA since we've been gone. So we'll start it with something that might be unexpected to some of you. Josh Hart with a career-high 44 points against Washington. Shot consistently. Stuffed the stat sheet with eight rebounds, six assists, and four steals to follow that. Nate, what do you think about that? Even though I think that Portland didn't have necessarily the best deadline, they gave up quite a few uh, pieces, including Robert Covington and Norman Powell. They didn't get much back other than Keon Johnson, really, in return. He was the only piece, really notably, that they got out of the other trades outside of C.J. McCollum. But in the C.J. McCollum trade, they did get Josh Hart, who I'm a big fan of, and I think he's really proven himself as a legitimate at least 3 and D player in today's NBA and a guy that you want to have on any championship team, honestly. But for the Blazers, he's been really good in, in a much expanded role than he previously had. He's really been the second option next to Anthony Simons, who's seemed to be a Dame disciple because when you watch them, it's honestly their games are so similar. Uh, but Josh Hart's been terrific, and the other night he had 44 points on 15 for 21 and 6 for 9 from 3. And his jump shot, I just want to say, looks so much smoother than it used to. He used to have more of a set shot and kind of... He was a guy that needed a few seconds to kind of gather himself before he shot, but he really looked smooth and fluent in that game against Washington. And 44 points for Josh Hart, I honestly wasn't expecting, but it honestly shows a lot of promise. And I think with a young backcourt of Simons and Josh Hart, Blazers might have more promise than the average NBA fan might think. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Um, it seems like all these former Laker guys, right? It's all the former Laker guys go off as soon as they stop playing with LeBron. Look, I'm not going to discredit LeBron, but you don't want to have your young guys or guys that you think have potential playing with LeBron. LeBron is a win-now player. He always has been. The guys that have a lot of potential, as in Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, and Brandon Ingram, even Julius Randle, too, for the Knicks, didn't get the opportunity necessary with the Lakers because they were so focused on win now, even though Julius Randle never played with LeBron. It seemed like they were almost setting up just to get a new star. They were never actually contending with Randle or and Ingram and Lonzo and actually trying to build something. It almost seemed like a trade was inevitable, hence why Randle left for New Orleans in that offseason. And since they've had LeBron, all their young players have seemed to stunted in development. You have guys like Taylor Horton Tucker even. Kyle Kuzma stunted in growth. Lonzo wasn't very good in his first season with LeBron. He ended up moving on. So did Josh Hart. So did Brandon Ingram. And really, we saw them get much better after LeBron's first season because even though LeBron can do pretty much anything in his prime with any roster, LeBron's not good with young guys. And once they traded him for AD, we saw them win a championship. It's clear LeBron needs to win now players. And I think that... The fact that Josh Hart and guys like that have gone away from that and just really focused on themselves and their own career, it's shown how much 
potential some of these guys have that never really got to show their promise under LeBron's shadow. All right, moving across to the East. One of the other best players in the world. We're going to talk about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, 53 points against my New York Knicks the other day. 110-107 loss. R.J. Barrett, Evan Fournier, and Ruiz Randall all scored over 24 points, but it still wasn't enough to get it done. Some late turnovers by Julius Randall's were very costly. Yeah, KD hit the dagger at the end of that game. I mean, really, I can't fault the Knicks for this. They've been playing better than they have all season. But in a game, this is just, you're playing Kevin Durant. Like, what else can you do when Kevin Durant's scoring 53 points? He was rising over the Knicks defenders and scoring at will. When you have a guy like KD who's as skilled and as good of a player he is, especially when you can argue he's the best scorer of all time, there's not much you can do when he scores 53 points. You're probably going to lose the game. And the fact that the Knicks kept it close is honestly... Not even a bad look, but at this point, the Knicks are probably out of playoff contention or play-in contention. And even if they were to make the play-in at this point, I feel like they're better off just getting another high draft pick. But I want to stress so hard that Julius Randle is not the problem. Julius Randle has been playing some of the best basketball of his career the last month. Averaged about 28 points per game in March. And he's looked like the Julius Randle of old. We don't have Derrick Rose. When I say we, I mean the Knicks, because I'm a diehard Knicks fan, and I associate with them so hard. But the Knicks do not have Derrick Rose. The Knicks are missing Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin. They are missing key pieces. Nerlens Noel, who was a huge part of the Knicks' defense last season, has barely played this year. And that's honestly what's been the fault with the Knicks. They can't consistently stay healthy, and it's just a rotation of multiple lineups in game in and game out and I think unfortunately this season is really a lost cause and the undaunting truth about it is that Mitchell Robinson could also leave this season as an unrestricted free agent. Another big market team but this one being from the Western Conference the Lakers they've been terrible and while me and Nate were gone they got blown out and had a double overtime loss the double overtime loss was to Houston which is the worst team in the league. That's embarrassing even though maybe statistically they aren't the worst team in the league they are the worst entire team record wise in the entire western conference although the rockets have been rebuilding this season we've seen guys like Jalen green christian woods had a solid season even though most people haven't been paying attention to him considering he's on the houston rockets who are not to be an ass or to be a super hard critic, but they're ass right now. Yeah, they're, they're pretty terrible. They're not a good team. They're a rebuilding team. It's what we expected from them. But we don't expect teams like the Lakers, who were title favorites coming into the season, to lose to them in overtime. Yeah. Jalen Green came out as saying that they had an entire game plan around attacking Carmelo Anthony in isolation and pick and rolls through the entire course of the overtime, which led to their victory. They won 139 to 130. And you literally saw it throughout the game. You could see it. It was so blatantly obvious what their game plan is, but the Lakers were so helpless to stop it because they're so old and they don't really have many guys who can switch on the perimeter and just keep up with these younger guys that have played with such a fast pace in today's NBA. It's really just a problem for the Lakers. And even though we talked about and people said at the beginning of the season that the Lakers were old and whatnot, is really showing how much of a disadvantage that is as we progress into the season and we see these older guys start to 
get more tired and fatigued and playing these younger teams that have still have fresh legs and are really full of energy. And then following that double overtime loss, the shorthanded Suns blew them out by 29. No Booker, no Chris Paul. This was a simply Cameron squared effort led. Cameron Johnson and Cameron Payne mm. have both been absolutely fantastic since they have seen their teammates, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, going down with injuries. We saw against, again, my New York Knicks, Cameron Johnson put up 38 points and hit a game-winning bank in three at the buzzer to beat the Knicks. And Cameron Payne has been averaging almost a double-double without Chris Paul in his absence, almost 17-10 and 10 per game. Cameron Payne started off the season a little bit slow. I was honestly, admittedly, a bit concerned with his production because in the past he's been so inconsistent. But Cameron Payne really proved so far without Chris Paul that he's been a legitimate asset and one of the best backup point guards in the entire NBA. Going back to the Lakers and Suns, Anthony Davis recently came out and said that the Suns would not have won bartering his injury that happened last year in the Western Conference playoffs. And honestly, I don't mean to be rude to AD, but that's the story of his career, is if he was healthy. And without AD, in the past couple games since the All-Star break, Westbrook has been terrible. He's played 10 games since the All-Star break. The Lakers are 3-7 and seven in that span. And Russell Westbrook has shot a measly 16.5. In the past 11 games since Russell Westbrook has been playing since the All-Star break, they are 3-8. and eight. And Westbrook has averaged 16 points per game. Five and a half rebounds and four and a half assists. We're still three over three turnovers a game, and he's shooting a measly nine percent from three point range, which is inexcusable. I know Russell Westbrook is not a three point shooter, but you are a former All Star and a guy getting paid forty million dollar contract per year, and you shoot nine percent from three. It's really sad to see. Not only because I'm a Thunder fan, but because this is also a former MVP that we're talking about. And, I don't, and the fact that, like, he he's not the only problem with the Lakers. They have a lot more problems than that. But to see that he is a problem with that team, just, uh, like, I think that it should really just hurt the average NBA fan. Like, seeing that an MVP is hurting a team. I now. don't know if we've ever seen a faller, a quicker fall off than Russell Westbrook in the entire history of the NBA. You can say guys like Bill Walton or Derrick Rose, but that was because of injury, really, mainly. Russell Westbrook has been purely because his game doesn't fit many teams. And when you're looking at teams right now who are contenders, there aren't really any teams that need a ball-dominant scoring point guard who doesn't stretch the floor. No, but what the Lakers got him for is to try to speed up the pace. That That is what they got him for. And you could see, if you watch Lakers games, you could see Westbrook get a rebound and then just have a fast break in transition and just take it to the bucket. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's what they wanted him to do. That is why they got him. He just doesn't do that consistently enough. He's, I'm not trying to say that. He's definitely still a very athletic player, but he's getting up there in age a little bit, honestly. Those legs aren't what they used to be. Let's the be real. The same thing I can say about him is the same thing I can say about Harden in a way. Their quick first steps are not what they used to be. And Westbrook and Harden's quick first step is used to be what their games are based around their ability to blow by defenders and have any option in the world once making a move 
because they were so quick off that first step with the ball. Mm-hmm. And even though Harden has struggled a little bit on the Sixers, especially against better teams so far, Harden has the shooting ability and natural scoring ability that Westbrook just will never have. But the fact that they're getting Westbrook and they wanted him to push the pace and they don't do anything that suits his play style, I don't think you can all attribute his mishaps and his failures all to Westbrook because they knew what kind of a player Westbrook was. They knew what kind of a player they were getting. And despite all of this, they've tried to put him into a system that doesn't fit his play style whatsoever. And they've honestly turned him into a spot-up shooter who occasionally isos. And we've seen Westbrook as one of the best playmakers in the entire NBA the past few years. The past 11 games, he's averaging about four and a half assists. That's not Westbrook. Westbrook is not being used the way Westbrook should be. And in all honesty, I just think Westbrook never belonged on a team with LeBron James to begin with. No, I actually, I, I agree with that. It's because, it's because I mean, yeah, LeBron's three-point shooting has been there, but I feel like LeBron needs more spacing than a Russell Westbrook, you know? I feel like a guy like Mike Conley, even though Jazz may have not been willing to part with him for as much, but a guy who's not as big of a name... But I feel like that's what the Lakers were going for because they're such a big market. They want that big name, a.k.a. Russell Westbrook. Trading for him may have set them back in multiple years because you look at Montrezl Harrell, who was traded for more assets. You look at KCP, who's still a solid 3 and D player. You get Kuzma, who's honestly arguably been better than Russell Westbrook this season. Oh, yeah. I, no, I 100% agree. He would definitely help the Lakers. Um, yeah, he would definitely help the Lakers more than Russell Westbrook would right now. And also... The, the Lakers just need a lot more of a responsible point guard because Russell Westbrook's assist-to-turnover ratio right now is not good. Like Nate said, over the last 10 games, he's averaging 4.6 assists. That's along with 3.2 turnovers. That's a really bad assist-to-turnover ratio. He barely ratio. has over a one assist-to-turnover ratio for a guy that has been considered an elite playmaker throughout the course of his entire career. And going back to AD here, maybe a little bit of a uh, off-topic you know, statement here. Do you think that AD might be, like, one of the biggest question marks, like, ever? No, for sure, because I think if at this rate he keeps going, he's never going to be able to solidify himself as one of the greats. The top 75 list, I thought he had no business being a part of. I'm a big Anthony Davis fan. I love the way he plays basketball, but that's when he plays basketball, and that's been the story of his career, that he doesn't play half the time, especially in the biggest games. Yeah, and it always ends up being in the biggest, like like you said, in the biggest games where he just he he ends up being hurt before those games, and that just that he doesn't have a ability to showcase like how dominant he actually is because he has the skill set to be one of the greatest of all time. I'm because and lie. we've seen that too, especially in the run in the bubble where he had those three point shots. Even though Anthony Davis is not seen as this great three point shooter, he hit shots because it was his duty. He was in that moment. He's a superstar. He has to hit those shots. And he hit those shots. He hit a three-pointer against the Nuggets to win them the entire series. And it was incredible. So seeing what AD can do in his prime right now when he's healthy is scary. But the fact that he we don't get to actually see what he's doing is also scary because it's wasting his prime and it's wasting the last years of LeBron and possibly the only left years that the Lakers have to contend. The Lakers are just painful, honestly. 
Just watching them is just painful. It it's pisses. like, yeah, it, it it should piss every NBA fan off to watch them because you see the fall off of Russell Westbrook. I said that that hurts a lot of average NBA fans, along with myself, um, and also Anthony Davis. Like we said, he doesn't play in the biggest games that he should. He doesn't have the ability to showcase that he, like, really can compete with the Kevin Durant's, the Giannis's, the LeBrons. Well, I mean, not compete with LeBron, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, be in that same conversation. And the thing, too, is the Lakers have not won a singular game since the All-Star break where LeBron has not scored 50 points. That is beyond pathetic. Okay, but... Can, a, no. Hold on. A 37-year-old player should not be relied on to score 50 points a night for you guys to be able to contend for a win, especially when you have another former MVP on your team, a former 10-time All-Star, and a beyond competent roster to be able to at least win 50% of your games. Can, can we talk about that, by the way? Because that is absolutely ridiculous that a 37-year-old LeBron James is he scored 50 twice in within a week. Over 50. Yeah, over 50. 56 one game and 50 the other game, correct? 50 or something, around 50. Yeah, around 50. That is just ridiculous to me. He is 37 years old doing this, carrying an NBA team, and it literally shows... LeBron needs to drop 50 for the Lakers to win. So the Lakers have been struggling since the All-Star break, and uh, some players have as well. So uh, we'll move on to that. A uh, a name that came up a lot before the All-Star break for very positive things is now coming up as a negative thing, kind of. One of the guys that I picked to be in All-Star Reserve and I really loved him. He's one of my favorite players in the entire league to watch basically every single night he plays. It's LaMelo Ball. He's really just not been the same since the prior to the All-Star break. He hasn't been the facilitator that he's been. He hasn't run in the offense like he had previously been built around as if the Hornets played their entire play style around LaMelo Ball's facilitating and ability to run an offense. We've really seen Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges be a bigger part of the ball handling role since the All-Star break. LaMelo's really just taken a step back prior to the All-Star break. He was averaging about 19-7-7 on 42% shooting and about 39% from three. Since the All-Star break, he's only averaging 17 points, 5.8 assists, 5.4 rebounds, and 39% from the field total leaving him at a sub-40% for the entire entirety of his campaign since the All-Star break. Also, LaMelo has been renowned as a lethal three-point shooter and a guy that can really create his own shot off the dribble, only hitting about 33% of the shots from three and long range this season since the All-Star break. And even though the Hornets have not been an elite team, the entire season, they've been a respectable team, and they're only 4-4 four and four since the All-Star break. They really haven't had any improvement or decrease. And I think if LaMelo was really playing better, they would have a much better record. LaMelo really organizes that entire team and has their offense set through him. James Borrego runs a lot through LaMelo and relies on him to run their offensive sets and get the offense flowing. One mistake that I really don't want the Hornets to make is, like, like as you said, like Terry Rozier taking on the ball handling role a little bit more. I, I just don't want them to make the mistake where they start underutilizing Melo and it just turns into a point of frustration with him. 
I really hope they don't drive LaMelo out because LaMelo is probably the best thing to happen to the franchise. Probably ever. 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 Yes, ever. Definitely. Since Kemba. <laughs> and Kemba didn't lead them to much. Exactly. But so, it's clear that LaMelo Ball and this team definitely have so much potential to be something down the line. And that's what I'm saying. If they just keep this team together, they can develop so well down the line. They just need. I agree. They, they just. They just can't take away Melo's role because the role that he had in the first half of the season, like, like you said, I I've seen it in the game since the All Star break. Yeah. He he hasn't. You know he hasn't been. He doesn't I mean, display the same confidence he usually does, and I think the team just needs to push forward that they believe in him and allow him to go through his struggles like a lot of young players do. But I. And, all in all, I think Lamelo's going to be fine. I see Lamelo as being a multi-time All-Star, and if he stays with the Hornets, I really think he could lead them to being the best team they've ever been. So where it goes with that is, um, yeah, like Lamelo Ball, you know, young player could have those struggles down the line, but like you said, it it can't be like a oh he struggles so take away his role somewhat. You know, it has to be something where the Hornets accept that and just let him play through it. So, another player that's been struggling since the All-Star break, Jalen Brown. But, I mean, that hasn't really seemed to matter that much. Jason Tatum is absolutely unconscious right now. The Celtics are ridiculous. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jalen Brown's production is maybe a thing to consider for the Celtics going forward. Even though they haven't wanted to split up their wing tandem in the past, Jalen Brown's productions really seem to drop off this season, only averaging about 17 and a half points per game on four rebounds and barely four assists but the thing with Jalen Brown is last season he was a sniper the dude was in the three-point contest and since the all-star break this year he's been shooting 24 percent from three on still six attempts per game almost and we can't act like that's not a problem if they had Jalen Brown Playing at the level he's used to be playing, they might be 18 of 18 for their last 18 games. Instead, they're 16 of 18. I think Jalen Brown is really their X factor. When he gets going, he makes the Celtics almost unbeatable. But, like we said, that's the thing. We don't know when he's going to go off, and we don't know when Tatum is going to go off. But Tatum's been very consistent, but we haven't seen the same production from Jalen Brown. And I think that's something... To potentially worry about for Celtics fans, even though it doesn't have to be a big worry, I think trading him in the near future might not be the worst idea, especially if you can get a real playmaking point guard to go alongside Jason Tatum. So one place where a lot of average NBA fans might go is that Jalen Brown's success is stunted due to Jason Tatum being so consistent and visibly having a bigger role. Jalen Brown's role really didn't get taken away, though. Like Nate said, he's been averaging almost six attempt, six three-point attempts per game. He's not really shooting the ball a lot less. He's just not shooting the ball as consistent as he used to. And we've seen this Celtics team often take turns isoing and handing the ball in between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And even though they haven't been doing that as much and they've been sharing the ball much better and getting Jason Tatum involved in more of a flow of an offense rather than just giving the ball to him and telling him to go to work... Jalen Brown hasn't found the same success, and he's getting the open looks that he wants and the looks that Jalen Brown should be getting, but he's just not converting at the rate he's used to. 24% from three isn't all because he's not getting good looks. It's because he's not hitting the same looks that he used to be hitting. Another player that the average NBA fan might be quite attuned to is Anthony Edwards. He's one of the best personalities in the entire NBA, one of the funniest guys, and probably one of the more entertaining players in the league with his variety of posters and step back threes and him being a number one pick 
just a year ago. Anthony Edwards, though, since the All-Star break, the Timberwolves have been one of the best teams in the entire NBA. But Anthony Edwards has not been in much of a part of that as you would think. Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell have taken on a huge load. D'Angelo Russell averaging almost 20 points and 10 assists since the All-Star break, with Carl Towns even dropping 60 the other night. The Timberwolves have been, record-wise, the entirely best team in the league over since the All-Star break. But Anthony Edwards' production has taken a step down, which may be attributed to the fact that he is an isolation player much of the time and takes away from their offense, but I don't think it should discredit him. He's averaging 15.5 points, 4.8 assists, and 3.8 rebounds per game on 40.4% shooting from the field and 25% from three on 7.5 temps per game. The real big thing with Anthony Edwards is his three-point shooting. It just hasn't been falling since the break, and I expect that to fall with more consistency as the season goes on, continuing into the play-in and the playoffs. I'm really not worried as much about Anthony Edwards because I think, honestly, him being as Less of a focal point in the offense may be a good thing because I think Carl Towns' ability and D'Angelo Russell's ability have not been on showcase fully because of Anthony Edwards' attempts at shooting and trying to get him into the spotlight as he is a younger player trying to prove himself still. Despite being a number one pick, I really don't think Anthony Edwards is much to worry about and I think the Timberwolves' success is enough of a sign to dismiss his struggles since the All-Star break. So for Anthony Edwards, I'm going to say the same exact thing that I said for LaMelo. It's his second year, you know. Young players have these struggles every now and then. We see it with almost every great player. They they have they'll have their struggles in the second se- in their second season, usually in the second half of the season, and then it just goes away, they're fine. And also with Ant, the same thing with LaMelo. I just hope that the Timberwolves don't make the mistake of, you know, driving him out of there due to a lower like lesser role. But Carl Anthony Towns has been insane. I do think, honestly, if he did have an expanded role 100% of the time, like he does right now, he could be a top three center in the NBA. All right, so now on our way up to Canada, talking about Fred Van Vliet. We actually have three Canadian-affiliated players coming up in a row for our last three struggling players since the All-Star break. FVV, Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet was selected to his first All-Star game this season, and... Since then, it has not been very pretty for Mr. Van Vliet, averaging only 17 points per game, 4.8 assists, and 4.1 rebounds, while averaging about 21-5-5 on the season. Only shooting 35% since the All-Star break and 31.9% from three on the fifth most attempts per game in the entire league since the All-Star game. He has been one of the highest volume three-point shooters and best percentage shooters in the league this season, and since the All-Star break, that has just not continued. So, even though the Raptors haven't been falling quite enough, they're almost at a 500 record since the All-Star break, and if they really want to be anything in the playoffs and contend for a higher seed, Fred Van Vliet is going to have to step up and play like his former All-Star self, because right now his play is not cutting it. Even though he's not playing horribly necessarily, his efficiency is ghastly. Now moving on to another Canadian affiliate, Andrew Wiggins. An actual Canadian. Andrew Wiggins has played for the Canadian national team and is a Canadian-born NBA player, much like Tristan Thompson, R.J. Barrett, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, so uh, maybe some Warriors fans, you know, shaking in their boots a little bit 
after uh, Andrew Wiggins after the All-Star break, not shooting as consistently as he was before. He's not playing like an All-Star starter. We can say that for the least. Yeah. He's only averaging about 14 points a game, 5.5 rebounds, and 3.5 assists. He's only shooting 40% from the field since the All-Star break, which is not acceptable, especially for an All-Star who was basically picked for his efficiency and ability to defend. Only 31% from three as well, and Andrew Wiggins has historically this season been one of the best catch-and-shoot players in the entire NBA, coming off of Steph Curry and Jordan Poole's screen and passes. If the Warriors really want to contend, they need Andrew Wiggins to step up because Steph and Clay have just not been shooting the ball as they have shot as well in their history this season. And as long as they step up, I think they're fine, but I think they really need that third piece as... As much as it may seem that they have two great scores, they need a third guy who they can pass the rock to and rely on to get buckets. And if he's only shooting 40% from the field, they really can't use Andrew Wiggins as a reliable option. So Wiggins has got to step up his game before the playoffs come around. Yeah, I think that one thing that will help the Warriors, though, is obviously Draymond being back. I mean, it, it'll definitely create more open shots for Steph and Clay. He's like a quarterback of an NFL offense. It's the difference between having Tom Brady and Carson Wentz. <laughs> Draymond Green is a good of a quarterback as they come in the NBA. He initiates the offense, he gets his guys open looks, and he makes the right plays 95% of the time. And he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. Let's not count that out. The only time I will ever be worried about Steph and Clay is a year after they're done playing with Draymond together because Clay is still coming back from two years' worth of injury, and Steph is Steph. He's the best shooter ever, and for him to shoot this poorly this season, even though he's shooting a good percent for a normal NBA player, <laughs> for him to do this again the next season would maybe change my mind on how good he is or how good he still is and has left in the tank. But I need to see another year with him and with Draymond and Clay because I think Draymond really does make the world's difference with their offense and in defense. All right, and our last Canadian. This one was affiliated with the Raptors. It is Kyle Lowry. Since the All-Star break, has not been playing the best for the Heat. Nine points per game. Still a very good distributor, almost eight assists per game. Five rebounds, 34% from the field, 32% from three. And he's averaging his lowest points per game since his first year with Toronto at only 12.8 points per game this year. In reality, Kyle Lowry has been what Kyle Lowry has been the past couple seasons. He's just not shot the ball as well. He's still a good distributor. He's still a good offensive facilitator. He's still a solid defender, and he can really be a leader for a team that needs authority and discipline on the court and off the court. He fits in perfectly with Miami's scheme, but he hasn't shot the ball as well as they'd like him to. I thought that it was the perfect way to go when Miami got him. I, I honestly did not see a better fit there. And despite Lowry's struggles, they're still number one in the East. Even though Lowry has struggled, it seems to have not had much of an impact on them as they've had much bench support from Gabe Vincent and guys like Max Struess. And even though they aren't necessarily facilitators, they filled in the role well, and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are two of the best passers at their position, and they still move the ball incredibly well. All right, now staying in the East, a team that we promised you guys we were going to talk about, the Celtics. They've been absolutely on fire. Jason Tatum's been absolutely on fire. They've won five straight. They've won 16 of their last 18. They really look like contenders right now. As much as it pains me to say, the Celtics have really been exactly what the Knicks have should have been this season. 
They turned their season around. They realized how good their roster was, and they realized they could contend if they flipped their offense around. What really frustrates me is the fact that the Celtics remind me much of the Knicks this season, except for they had the ability to make adjustments. They have a coach that is actually competent and understands the concept of offensive sets, and they have moved things around, and Brad Stevens has tried different things because he saw that other sets and other offensive movements had not worked earlier this season. Tom Thibodeau, however, just says, do whatever the fuck you want because Tom Thibodeau is incompetent and doesn't understand the concept of trying to run an offensive play or letting somebody else draw up something that may lead to success. All right, and since you got to talk about the Knicks this episode, I'm going to sit here and talk about the Thunder for a second. Um, One thing that I think that nobody is talking about because, well, the Thunder are the Thunder, smaller market team now, and, uh, you know, not a lot of greatness in the organization right now, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander, we've been, we've been talking about players who have been bad since the All-Star break. Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been insane since the All-Star break. He has had over 30 points every single game besides one, which granted he scored eight. But, I mean, the Thunder haven't really looked great, but their young core looks great. Shea has been playing out of his mind, as I said. Baisley's really picked it up since the All-Star break. He's showing that he might actually have some offensive skill in this league, driving to the basket. And uh, I'm really, really excited about Trey Mann. I think that he could be a really good spark plug off the bench for us in the future. Maybe potentially even a starter. Anyways, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Booming Basketball Podcast. As always, I'm Danny. I'm Nate. And thanks for listening, guys. Peace. Peace.